Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And this morning's show... Uh, we talked about a number of things that kind of introduced into the fact that uh, a couple places in the Bible, several places in the Bible, where Jesus talks about people being deceived, many people being deceived, people thinking that they're Christians and they're not really Christians, people that are actually workers of iniquity, but they think they are Christians. And he also talks in other places about people who don't even think they're Christians and they actually are. And that was one of these particular places, which I talked about this morning, was near the same situation where he found the Roman centurion had more faith than anybody else in Israel. Which is, that's pretty amazing. That this Roman centurion, he had not found anybody with that kind of faith. And he commended him for it. Uh, the reality is today, modern Christians are not really a lot of what I call modern Christians are not really Christians. They're, they think they're Christians. They think they believe in Jesus, and they're not. And so we go through a lot of things that show you where that is. And we cannot do that without talking about your strong delusion, which he also talks about, the people being under a strong delusion. And that nothing stronger than thinking you're a Christian and actually being a worker of iniquity. Number of places Jesus talks about people who are left out because they think they're Christians and they're not, or they think they're prepared and they're not, or they run out of oil because they've squandered their time and energy. And they knock and he will not let them in. But everybody would think with a lot of the modern church philosophy that if you just say you believe in Jesus, you're automatically saved, even though Jesus said, not those who say, but those who do with the will of the Father. And of course, we show every week how people think they're doing the will of the Father and they're actually doing contrary to the will of the Father. And they think they may even be doing righteous and or because they're so self-righteous and they're actually being unrighteous. We see that a lot. I saw a bunch of people who were uh, rioting in Portland. They call it demonstrating. I call it rioting. And they don't seem to have a grasp of reality at all. And they all seem so angry. So, and, and like, why are you so angry? You know, will things not go well for you if you do well? <laughs> and of course they do. But these people... Uh, they like to hate. They like to get angry. Of course, they are the useful idiots that as soon as uh, somebody comes to power who has a different culture, a culture of power and domination, those people will be destroyed. They will kill them, like the brown shirts. The brown shirts did all this stuff to bring Hitler into power, and then all of a sudden he turned on the brown shirts, and they were in serious, serious trouble. So anyway, what we also talked about this morning... These different quotes in, in Luke thirteen twenty three to thirteen um, thirty and Matthew twenty four five to twenty four eight and nine and where it talks about people being cast out thrust out because as they said in Luke thirteen twenty seven because they're workers of iniquity depart from me you workers of iniquity and the reason we brought all this up is because a lot of people think that they're Christians and they're not Christians. Well, we also had a parallel subject that we were dealing with, which was the face masks. And we pointed out, you know, over and over again, all the studies, almost all the studies, say that there really is no significant difference between wearing a mask and not wearing a mask when you're wearing a mask and outside in a non-sterile environment, in a non-controlled environment, that it really doesn't have much effect when it comes to viruses. Now, if you have a cold and you're coughing, it's kind of way of a perpetual hand over your mouth, but that's not going to stop the virus. As a matter of fact, as soon as the mask gets wet and you cough, the virus becomes aerosol. Then the smallness of the virus, they go through all these masks. Yet they want you to wear them. And we said the reason... They want you to wear them and, and they're thousand dollar fines and two thousand dollar fines and statewide mandatories. Well, there's a lot of reasons why they want to do this is because they're conditioning you 
to do something that really doesn't make any sense, but you do it just to go along to get along. They're conditioning you. Now then they're going to ask you to do something else and you will have less strength to resist that. And what is that? They're working on a vaccine. Not a normal vaccine, but a never-before-tried vaccine. A vaccine that is based on synthetic construction rather than the construction within a cell. And they're going to force that vaccine. Eventually, they will make it a mandatory vaccine. Now, maybe not this year, maybe not this month, maybe this year, but later on. Who knows? But there are those, there are powers that want to do that, and they have to have their way. They will do that. And we talked about the fact that they they had uh, voluntary vaccine, mandatory vaccine, and compulsory vaccines, these three types. And Attorney Alan Dershowitz says that you have no constitutional protection against being forcibly vaccinated. They can literally hold you down and forcefully vaccinate you, and you have no constitutional protections against that. That's Alan Dershowitz's opinion, and of course that's his opinion based upon the Jacobson opinion, Jacobson versus Massachusetts, and we went over the case and why they say that. And of course they, they're... They're only deciding not what's right or wrong, but the constitutionality that comes from 14th Amendment protections, and they say you have none against vaccines as a 14th Amendment citizen. And we keep, we've gone before in the past why they say that that is so. But we also went through all the chief justices, and we found out that a lot of the chief justices were pro-segregation, they were not pro-civil rights. Uh, they opposed civil rights often. Some of them were actually members of the KKK. A couple of them actually fought in the American uh, Civil War on the side of the South. And even one, Harlan, who was the chief justice at the time, who fought on the side of the North, was against the Emancipation Proclamation. So these are the guys who made this decision that Alan Dershowitz says is settled that we have to go by. KKK members, uh, pro-slavery members, that's this is the way they decide. So are they wrong? Well, they're actually not wrong. You do not have any 14th Amendment right to refuse vaccinations if vaccinations actually protect society. Now, that's a debatable item, but they said it's not arbitrary that even if you have a legitimate, because the guy who was bringing Jacobson, bringing this, he had been vaccine injured, was painfully sick for years and years because he was forced to take a smallpox vaccination when he was young, and it made him ill, and his one of his children had already had a reaction, and so he said, genetically, we may not be able to take these vaccinations without doing this damage. They said they, they could do them anyway. And the Supreme Court ruled in that favor. And so now Alan Dershowitz thinks that it's settled, even though the guys who decided it have some serious issues with what is just. One of the things is some of these same people, you know, there was a major opinion in the Buck versus Bell opinion, which you should be familiar with. If you're an American and you and you're attending to the weightier matters, then you understand what all these cases are. Well that was for sterilization. Carrie Buck, who was claimed to be mentally defective, and, and we can go into whether she was or not, because eventually it was decided that she was not mentally defective, she was to undergo for sterilization. That was all out of the eugenics of, that eventually became the Nazi party, but it, this was decided sometimes by the Supreme Court. So there's no necessary fact that the Supreme Court makes all decisions correctly. They can make them wrong. And you can ask a lot of questions as to what is right. One of the things that liberty is not an absolute right in each person to be in all times and all circumstances wholly free from restraints. That when you may need to be restrained if you're endangering other people. So, what what's going to happen when they come to your door and they want to force you to have vaccination? You can say, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. 
or you can say, but what if they say you can't get on a plane unless you have a certificate of immunity? You can't go into the post office without a certificate of immunity. You can't go into a grocery store without a certificate of immunity. You can't work here or there or there or there or there without a certificate of immunity. And the only way you're going to get that is a vaccination. The reality is they can test for COVID antibodies right now and determine that you are already producing the antibodies and you should be going out without a mask and intermingling in the crowd because you can actually spread those antibodies to other people, making whole of society healthier by the fact that you're producing those antibodies. But they don't do that. They think the only way you can be immune is that you get the vaccine. Those people who think that way are are immunity deniers. And we did a report on our coronavirus page where we showed top epidemiologists in the world saying the same thing over and over again. Where does this all bring us to? There is, of course, he says, a sphere within which the individual may assert the supremacy of his own will and rightfully dispute the authority of any human government, especially of any free government, existing under the written constitution. But it is equally true that in every well-ordered society, charged with the duty of conserving the safety of its members, the rights of the individual in respect to the liberty may at times, under the pressure of great danger, be subjected to such restraints to be enforced by reasonable regulations as the safety of the general public. So, basically, they've come down to the idea that they can take away the rights of the individual in order to preserve what they imagine to be the rights of the community as a whole. That's not really entirely true. But it becomes true because people put their lives first over the lives of their neighbor. They put their rights first over the rights of their neighbor because the government really isn't supposed to keep everybody safe. It's supposed to protect against foreign invasion and you could probably find that some sort of disease might be counted as foreign invasion. But the reality of forcing people to take a vaccination that might be dangerous seems to be trading tit for tat. You're saying, well, we can endanger these people to protect, possibly protect those people. And to some degree, that that is true. I mean, like if you had to speed to get somebody to the hospital because they were bleeding to death, you were you're literally endangering other people by speeding. But that's your only alternative because you can't stop the bleeding. You have to get them to the hospital where they have the tools to stop the bleeding. Well, that's actually a little crazy, but that there's a certain argument to that. So why are we looking at all this? And we look at, so we looked at the Jacobson case. We looked at the judges who decided the case and what exactly it meant. It means they can force you to have vaccinations. Now you can argue against it, but those people who have also stated this out there in the world, they say that we need to rethink our position as to what we can do and what we can't do to prevent ourselves from being forced to receive a vaccination. And one of the things that is just obvious is that you need to gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because isolated, they can pick you off one at a time. Now, one thing that Noah Webster said back there in the beginning of America, Christian religion in its purity is the basis or rather the source of all genuine freedom in government. And I am persuaded that no civil government of a republican form can exist and be durable in which the principles of that religion have not a controlling influence. So, a question arises, what is the principle of the influence of Christianity? Now, people will tell you it's what you think about Jesus. Do you think he's really your savior? Well, that may be a question that you can ask, but that's not very descriptive. Because a lot of people say, claim, Lord, Lord, but they don't do the will of the Father. And so they're not really dealing with the truth. So a pastor wrote an article. He says, pastors, I implore you. Don't stand resolute and determine 
to willfully give up the authority of your church to the government. As you abandon your authority, you abandon the flock to wolves. So he, he said that and he went on to say a lot of other things and talking about people having these, you know, worshiping in their church according to the, their good conscience. But there was this, uh, danger of, uh, government fraud controlling the church. And he says, so that's not right. The church should be independent. Well, the church is, but most of the people posing as church are not. They eat daily at the table of men who exercise authority one over the other, despite the fact that Christ says it is not to be that way with you. Yet, there they are, praying for those benefits. And, of course, that has compromised their liberty and freedom to make choices. And we need to repent of that and think differently. Uh, Jake McCauley can dictate the actions of the president of Russia or the prime minister of Japan. This is because our founders intended that the very same authoritative separation that exists between the countries like the U.S. and Russia or Japan exists between American civil government and the church. Well, that would be true except for the fact that the congregants of the church are not separate from the world. If they get sick, who's going to take care of them? It's going to be the government. So they have a vested interest in taking care of them. The pastors of the church, who's going to take care of them? They're all signed up to a government that exercises authority one over the other to obtain benefits at the expense of their neighbor, which is the wages of unrighteousness. So that's where they're at, and so that how can they say that they're the church and that they're separate? You can't have it both ways. You can't be separate and still a member. And so when he talks about the fact that, you know, I mean, I even cringe when he says he talks about going into their churches with no masks and openly worshiping God. Worshiping God is doing the will of the Father. If you're not doing the will of the Father, then you're not really worshiping God. Where's all this taking us to? Where are we going with this idea of governments who have moved into a position of power? And we talked about this this morning. A republic is where the leaders are free, uh, are titular, and the people are free from things public. They're not controlled. Back when Daniel Webster said that Christian religion in its purity is the basis or rather the source of all genuine freedom in government. He's talking about pure religion. And pure religion, unspotted before the world, is taking care of the needy of society without depending upon and exercising authority that exercises authority one over the other to provide the benefits of the people and for the people. Because that system operates by force. Well, not only is that covetous practice, it keeps you from the actual practice that Christ said to sit down in the tens, hundreds, of the thousands and take care of one another. He says, as our government delays the restoration of unencumbered church services and adds more conditions, it is crucial to understand, regardless of whether the virus is fatal or phony, The lockdown and shutdown and mandates for social distancing and masks have no lawful basis in a church sanctuary. Well, to some degree that's true, but those people are going to go back out, and if they get sick, who's taking care of them? You see, he's talking about how the church should remain unencumbered, separate from the world. But your ministers are not separate from the world. If they get sick, they're going to go to the government to take care of them. If they fall on, you know, difficult times, they will look to the government to solve those problems. They're signed up to receive. Their actual communion comes from the government. They may get a wafer from their minister, but the actual communion comes from the government. How can they demand that the church is separate when they themselves is not, are not separate. What, what does it say in, in the New Testament? Touch not. What are they talking about? Touch not. When 
when uh, the apostles refer to that idea of touch not, what are they talking about in the Bible? What are you not supposed to be touching? Things sacrificed to idols. Things that are offered by systems of welfare that exercise authority one over the other. I mean, if you go all the way back to First Chronicles 16.22, it says, saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Now, that's a command from God. We see the same thing in Psalms 105.15, saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. But people are doing the prophets harm because they're, who are the prophets of God? They're, they eat at the table of the Lord. They don't eat at the table of the world. They don't covet their neighbor's goods. They are independent of that. You're not supposed to touch them. But that's not the ministers in most churches because they go to men who exercise authority one over the other to obtain benefits at the expense of their neighbor through the social estate. In Lamentations, they said, They cried unto them, Depart ye. It is unclean. Depart, depart, touch not. Then they fled away and wandered. They said, Amongst the heathen, they shall no more sojourn there. Now, when you get into Luke 13.46, people are sojourning there. And the the uh, Corbin of the Pharisees is making the word of God to none effect because they are engaging in those things they do touch. They They want benefits at the expense of their neighbor and people sign up for them and that's going to make a difference. In Luke 11:46 it, it says and he said, "Woe unto though you also, ye lawyers, for ye laden men with burdens, grievous to be borne, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers." They don't and and they just recently, you know, we're all supposed to wear COVID masks, but they just gave an exemption to legislature that they don't have to. They're not under the same restrictions. You see, because that's that's what they're doing. And Jesus warned about that. In Second Corinthians 6.17 it says, Wherefore come out from amongst them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean things, and I will receive you. What are the unclean things? Things like meats from animals strangled. Well, once you understand that the animal sacrifice is really a part of a social welfare system of Corbin, now you realize that any benefits you take from systems like that, should you even touch that? Should you even have it a part of it? Those things are not righteous. They are the wages of unrighteousness because they come from your neighbor by force. They are part of that covetous practices. So, you get down to Second Corinthians, where it says that we're not supposed to touch the unclean things, but in Colossians it says, touch not, taste not, handle not. That's in Colossians 2, 23, I think. What are they talking about? Sing unto the Lord, all the earth, show forth from the day to day his salvation, declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works amongst all the nations. For Great is the Lord, great to be praised, he also to be feared amongst all gods. And it's small g, gods. So, we're supposed to be keeping ourselves separate. We're supposed to be taking care of one another with pure religion. That's when, remember, Noah Webster was talking about pure religion. Which means that we take care of one another, the widows, the orphans, the needy of our society... We take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and not force, fear, and violence. So this is, this is the process that we should be following, but it is not the process that most Christians are following. They're actually going another way. They're not striving to make straight the way of the Lord, to keep on the straight path of the Lord. They are diverging from that straight path and doing contrary to what God says to do. And they they need to change, but they won't admit that they need to change. 
So anyway, so we talked about all these things. What happened is that, it, you know, people all wear masks now. There are people who are shaking their fists at it. But generally speaking, the whole world has gone over to this other way. 200 years ago, when Noah Webster was talking about this pure religion, the definition of religion was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And today, it's what you think about God. And they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's a bad thing. That's going to change us and the way we think and do stuff. And it's what we do that proves our real love for Christ. You can't be forcing your neighbor to contribute to your benefit without becoming a little bit of a dictator. And if you become a little bit of a dictator, other people will become a dictator over you. What's happened is over the years, our minds have been shifted to accept certain things that just ain't so. To do certain things that just are not true. To follow certain paths that are not good paths to follow. They actually lead us into those iniquities where we become the workers of iniquity. And we need to repent of that. We'll be right back to Keys to the Kingdom in a moment. Well, welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. So, what's happened is our minds have shifted. And one of the reasons our minds have shifted is because culture does matter. And our culture is this this sum total of our experiences, our accepted experiences, and the ideologies and philosophies that we expect or accept to be uh, true. And we assume to be true. We operate according to... Those ideologies and those philosophies. You know, so I have an article up on cultures and ask the question, do cultures matter? And uh, talk about the Greek prophets and all this kind of stuff and what these different words mean. So that you can get a grasp and understand how things operate, how things uh, function in the universe. So that you don't end up stuck in a rut going the wrong direction in society. Culture matters. And there's lots of different kinds of culture. Culture may be defined as the arts and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement regarded collectively. It is also would include culture refers to the cumulative deposit of that knowledge, the experience that comes along with that knowledge, beliefs, things that we believe to be true, values that we believe to be valuable, attitudes, means hierarchies, religion. So it's not just religion. It's all kinds of things. But, of course, there are all kinds of religions. So what religion are we talking about? If religion and pure religion is taking care of the needs of society unspotted by the world, then how? what is the sum total of your culture? What do you really believe? Well, you know, actually, just recently, there was a strange thing that uh, appeared. African-American Museum, the, the Smithsonian Institute, and it, it's removed a chart that it put up which suggested the best aspects of society come from white people, which actually, it, it wasn't really saying that specifically, but uh, this is what uh, one news source was saying. Was the brochure racist? It talks about white culture in the United States, and it says white dominant culture of whiteness refers to the way white people and their traditions, attitudes, and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practices in the United States. And since white people still hold, they say, most of the institutional powers in America, we have all internalized some aspects of white culture. Now, for one thing, the, the phrase white culture is its really a horrible phrase. Horrible, bigoted, racist phrase. Because we're we talking white Swedes. White Norwegians, white Frenchmen, white Italians, white Bulgarians. All these people are white. White Scots, white British. So this, these are clearly diverse cultures. And then with, even within those cultures, the equation of all those different characteristics are going to vary. So it's a vague thing to refer to white culture. It's a racist thing to refer to it because you have all kinds of different people. 
I mean, what, what was it? Uh, Steve Martin did a whole skit where he was raised by black people and he thought he was black. Of course, he's as white as can be, but he thought he was black because he was raised by black people. I, did I say that right? And uh, it was a comedy. And it was funny back then. It's probably not funny anymore by some people's standards. It's probably racist now. <laughs> but, uh, but we do the same thing where we lump, you know, all black people into black culture. Well, there is no homogeneous black culture. There isn't even a homogeneous African culture. There's all kinds of tribes and different cultures within all the, they're rich in different cultural aspects. Culture really almost can only be broken down to the individual. Because no matter what culture you have, you'll have some people that don't think like everybody in that culture. They think slightly different. And one of the first things they put out, out there as a part of the white culture characteristics is rugged individualism. So does that mean that in Africa there is no individualism with all the black people supposedly came from? Or Australia where the aborigine came from? Do they... Are they all just one homogeneous group? No. So this idea of rugged individualism, the individual uh, uh, is the primary unit, it says, the self-reliance, independence and autonomy, highly valued. Well, it is amongst a lot of white people, but I can find it amongst other people, you know. If you talk about it in the most vague generalities, you might be able to get away with this, but I mean... This seems so racist to begin with because they're making the division. Instead of saying individuals as a group believe in individualism, it's white people as a group believe in individualism. Well, to tell you the truth, I know an awful lot of white people that are for socialism and and even Marxism, and they want to kill individualism. So what happened to them? They're not white anymore? (laughs) To equate... These characteristics to, with the pigment of your skin is what racism is really all about. So the individual assumed to be in control of their environment. You get what you deserve kind of thing. That's supposedly the attitude that that creates. Well, that's not really true. Individualism doesn't mean you're in control of your environment. It means that you need to exercise individual responsibility for your character and your interaction with society. That's absolutely reasonable. It also lists as one of the characteristics is family structure. The nuclear family, father, mother, two, three children, is the ideal social unit in the white mind. Well, that used to be the ideal social unit in the black mind. Because they had... You know, one to three percent of the blacks in a community were being raised by single parent families because family was extremely important to them. That was a black trade at one time. Now it's not a black trade anymore because 75 percent of the families or 70 percent of the families are raising single parent children. What happened? It talks about husband and uh, breadwinner and head of household. Well, that isn't necessarily just white. That That's common amongst blacks and common amongst ancient blacks. Common amongst Chinese. You know, the, what, where is that not common? As a matter of fact, we, we talked before whenever you have a sexual revolution which would include that the, that the people will not be monogamous in, anymore, you also get this destructive influence on society. A society has no more than two generations once the body gets to that point. And, you know, that's just the way we begin to decay without those principles. So it's not exclusively white by any means. Wife and home, uh, is a homemaker and subordinate to the husband. Well, that's not specifically white. Isn't that what goes? <laughs> The hunter-gatherer, the hunters were the men going out and bringing food home. Indians did it, uh, Africans did it, Asians did it. Where does that not exist amongst any particular race or color? You might find a few exceptions, but 
it's it's an exception. Then they go on to say that children should have their own rooms and be independent. Well, it's true that we you, you see the same thing now. There's a in individualism. There's a little bit less of tribalism, which is very common in Africa. But tribalism requires individual choice and individual performance. Even the Watusis and the uh, and other groups, when they were fighting lions, they would they would have to do it as a team, but they would individually do it as a team. And while whites are supposedly big on individualism, according to this brochure, they're also big on teamwork. They're big on patriotism, which is is something different. So, to create this pamphlet is to create a confusion to begin with because it's based on false premises. We did a few shows on uh, white fragility and they, they're guilty of the same confusion. Anyway, they go on to talk about Protestant work ethic. It's supposed to be a white characteristic. Now, of course... You know, you'll find all kinds of Protestants in Africa, but oh, but that's because whites came and changed things. They accepted it. They accepted it because work ethic makes sense. If you don't work, you don't eat. And that's not exclusively a white thing. That's a human thing. Same way with uh, uh, work before play. If you didn't meet your goal, you, you didn't uh, work hard enough. That isn't necessarily so. We know that people will not reach a goal even though they work hard. Why are they putting it into this white category? Religion. They have a section on that. Christianity is the norm amongst whites. Well, it is now. It wasn't always that way. So it's not necessarily always a white thing. And then, of course, then we can go into the definition of what's actually Christian. Christianity is the norm, they said. Anything other than Judeo-Christian traditions is supposedly foreign. That's not true. I knew all kinds of uh, uh, Buddhists who are white. Uh, now, they are an exception. Most of them are Christians. But if you go to Africa, there's an awful lot of people down there that claim to be Christian. You, you know, you go to South America... Those are supposed to be Hispanics, uh, which is not really another race, but a brown people, supposedly. Christianity is all over the place down there. So, what are they really talking about? And But the, it seems to be always in the third thing that they mention. No tolerance for deviation from the single God concept. Well, there is... The Christians are the most tolerant religion there is. They believe in one God generally speaking. But they are tolerant of other people who believe in more than one. Status of power and authority, that's another thing they put. Wealth equals worth. That isn't necessarily so. People gave up, you know, the founding fathers, they were known for having given up their wealth in order to obtain freedom. They suffered great financial loss in order to... It it is a characteristic amongst many white people to lay down their life to sacrifice their wealth for others. Sure, there's going to be some that think that, you know, what I gain is what is important, but I can find that in the Zulus certainly thought that. Other people certainly thought that. It's not specifically white. You you have to have these, like, blinders on to history and humanity to come up with these, uh, these, these goofy premises. So it says wealth is worth, your job is who you are. That's not true. There are whites who think that way, but there are are millions of whites who don't think that. They think family is everything. So we can go back to that. Family structure being important. Doing what is right is important. Uh, He talks about heavy value on ownership of goods, space, and property. Well, that's certainly not... You know, they had ownership in uh, Indian tribes. They just didn't have a way of measuring off specific lots. But if you were hunting in another tribe's hunting ground, you could get yourself in a lot of trouble. You're telling me that Chinese people don't have that? You'll find a few religions that talk about shedding all the excess stuff because that's not important. But 
You'll find that in all races. It's, it's certainly not exclusive to the white race. They talk about respecting authority. Well, if that were true, why would we have an American Revolution? We should have just done what George III said. No. No, we question authority. That's a specific trait you found common amongst, you know, blacks and whites and Asians. We, matter of fact, whites may do it more. But again, when you're talking about whites, are you talking about Canadian whites? You're talking about American whites? You're talking about uh, European whites? Or are you talking about egg whites? I mean, like, what are you talking about here? That doesn't make any sense. So there is a value on ownership of property, but it is also the the white Christian is some of the most generous people in the world. And so where does this... I mean, even Rockefeller gave tithe heavily, even almost 50% of what he produced, gave it away. Now, I'm not saying the Rockefellers now are doing that, but... Um, they plan for the future. That's not a white trait. That's a north trait. If you don't plan for the future, uh, you, you're going to die in the middle of the winter. You're going to starve to death. So that's that's not a white trait. That's, again, it has more to do with your environment. Uh they also talk about future orientation. Plan, like I said, plan for the future, delayed gratification for to obtain something you know they save is that really white trait is that just common sense that you are willing to delay personal gratification they actually did a study with kids where they uh, said that if you you know i don't remember was it jelly bean or what you could take the jelly bean now and you could eat it right now or you could leave it there and there might be another jelly bean added to it and they were looking at who was going to be more successful. They weren't looking. This was not a racial thing. And and so, like I said, just putting this paper together shows that you're a racist. Because you think that traits belong to somebody because of their skin color. He also says, progress is always the best. Tomorrow will be better. That doesn't really hold water too well either. Tomorrow will be better, maybe, maybe not. I mean, you have, uh, you know, supposedly attributed to the Mexican, you know, mañana. Put, don't do today what you can put off until tomorrow. Well, of course, that's contrary to what Wimpy, who was white, would say all the time. Uh, he would say, why not put off today what can be done tomorrow? Uh, the other thing they say is time follows rigid time schedules. Well, that's, some whites do, some whites do not. Time viewed as a commodity. Well, time is a commodity because you have a limited supply of it and you can give it to other people or not. And his white dominant culture or whiteness refers to this ways white people and their traditions, attitudes, and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practices in the United States. And since white people still hold most of the power, so this is a quote again from the same article. Like I said, in South Africa, whites do not hold most of the power. Blacks do. So, does that mean that these traits are now going to be black traits too? It's just, it's just you should not be thinking in this, in this way. Anyway, so we've explored the idea that people's minds are actually taking over and they fall into these ruts. We talked about that this morning. And then you can't get them out of the rut. They begin to identify with the idea, this, which is ideology. It is not righteousness. It's ideology. And we need to formulate an ideology of righteousness, which is why Christ says to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not just seek the kingdom of God and his benefits, but seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And keys to the kingdom are the keys to liberty. The keys that other people are giving you and locking you into is, is 
Very simple. You know, the idea of coveting your neighbor's goods to obtain benefits at the expense of others. The idea of becoming the judge of others and being dominant and ruling over others and controlling others. Projecting characteristics in others instead of just seeing them as they are. What we see is an irrational, unreasonable behavior coming out of what they call the left. Not that anybody who is a conservative is all that rational. Because they have already accepted a socialist state. And they don't even realize that people are worried about the United States becoming socialist. The United States is socialist. It has socialist money. It has a socialist retirement program. It has socialist welfare. None of it is operating by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect love, liberty. All of it is operating by, you know, this system of force. And it's it's taking us down a road. It's taking our minds down a road. It's It's actually beginning to possess our thinking so that we have no means by which... To break the bonds. When we were reading the Declaration of Independence, it was talking about dissolving the bands which have connected us with the other, with another. Which is by consent. Well, it depends on how far you take that consent. If you've consented too much already, and somebody's gone into debt because you have consented, then how do you get out without paying off the debt? So that's kind of where we're at. We need to repent and think differently. And what you have to do is get into another rut. I mean, we often think of religion as a rut. You do this religiously. We use it, the term, in other words, you do it every day. So this pastor who was talking about uh, the churches needing to go into churches, he, he says, I found myself in a time jump back to when things were normal. There was not a single mask found in the entire church that he was attending. People worshipped the Creator unencumbered by the coercive burdens laid upon them by the state. Really? Really? He's taking it back to pre-COVID and mask wearing. No, you, the coercive burdens that you have placed on your neighbor because you want free education, public schools. So people who have no children whatsoever are forced to contribute to your public school at the point of a gun by men who exercise authority. If they don't, they'll have the house taken away from them. They're not worshiping God unencumbered by a course of burdens laid upon them by the state. They're not taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They're not taking care of one another through righteousness. They are given over to reprobate minds and operating in a much more arrogant way. And they have great need of repentance. And that they don't even recognize it. They think it's okay. So, how are we going to get ourselves turned around? Well, Christ told you you had to forgive. You had to, you know, forgive the traumas. You had to be still and know and look at the traumas that are in you. He told you, he commanded that you take care of one another, love one another through charity. But people aren't doing those things. They were a hundred years ago in America, but they're not doing them now. So how do we change that around? How do we turn that around? How do we go the other way? Well, you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start becoming the social welfare of the people through that network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. You have to make yourself committed to it. Once you do that, like we talked, they have the right to force vaccination. You're going to need a network that reaches all across the United States. You can't just move to a state that doesn't have bad laws because it could become federal overnight. You you have to learn to come together so that you can back each other up, so that you can take care of one another, so that you can present a united front. If you're continually dividing oneself and going the opposite direction... And going away from other people because you don't want it to be dependent upon other people. How in the world are you going to lay down your life daily so you can pick up your life more abundantly? How can you learn to be there for your family? 
You you just can't do it. You can't without coming together. This is why this is the most important thing. So we're gonna have a burning bush festival come uh, the first part of September out here in Summer Lake. Uh, if other people wanted to get together in other parts of the country and do the same thing, or they could probably do it later in the year because we do, we've been doing it traditionally on these particular weekend. I think it's 5th, 6th, and 7th. And you can come out here. But the most important thing is to get on the network. Join the email network where you can get emails at preparingyou.com. And... Uh, uh, the, and then make connection with other people as close as possible to your location so that you can learn to be there for other people. I get calls all the time where people want to, I don't know you. And, you know, I try to answer the calls. I try to help people, but I, I am, I'm running on four or five hours of sleep sometimes trying to get everything done and make a living at the same time so that I'm not a burden to anybody. You have to get together so that you can lay down your life for your fellow man so that God can intervene in what is coming. And he can be there for you. He can tell you where to go, where you won't be held down and injected. And he can tell you how to avoid that. And we have lots of other things that we can tell you about how to do that. But you need to come together for the purposes of Christ. That's real worship. You don't come together to feel good in a church. You have to repent and seek the kingdom of God. But anyway, we'll talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom at another time. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.